Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 32 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today, I talk with Rizarta about her son, Liart. Liart died just this past November on the 21st. Liart suffered from a genetic disorder called Schimke Immune Osseous Dysplasia. It is extremely rare and certainly something I had never heard of. Schimke's is characterized by short stature, uh, kidney disease, and a weakened immune system. In Liard's case, it was ultimately the kidney disease that led to his death. Rosarta reached out to me fairly early in her grief process because she wanted to share her story and to be able to tell others about her wonderful son, Liart. What really strikes me about Rosarta is the peace and spirituality that she really seemed to feel around the time of his death. Although she had always practiced her Muslim faith, she says that she would not have considered herself to be a spiritual person prior to going through the illness and death of her son, Liard. Now that spirituality has given her so much comfort. She feels that Liart is near her all the time. She describes it as being a key part of her healing process. It has given her an overwhelming sense of peace despite the horribleness of the grief that she is living with every day. Honestly, I have to say, after speaking with her, I felt a little bit jealous of that peace that she really seemed to feel. It's interesting that after our conversation, I dreamt about Andy for the first time in many, many months. A healthy Andy, a happy Andy. Hopefully, listening to Rosarta can help others feel a little bit of that peace as well. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Rosarta, for agreeing to come on the show today and talking to us about your son, Liart. So I'm just going to have you go ahead and just talk about him and tell us about him as a kid. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for doing this. I just want to tell you, when I lost my son, as you know, you lose a part of your identity, and I didn't know who I was. I am a medical mom, so I was yes. always known as Liart's mom. They never really knew my name, so when he passed, I was still Liart's mom, but without the Liart, and days after he passed, I was looking for grieving podcasts and you were the first one I found and I've listened to every single one of your sessions and I just want to thank you for that it's been an incredible 
journey that we're going through it together and you didn't even know it. Yeah, no. How many months has it been now for you? It will be five months on the 21st. He passed away November 21st, oh. 2019. The 21st is Andy's birthday, actually. It's my son Andy's 16th birthday. Yes. That day. Yeah, that day is going to be rough on a lot of people. Yes. Someone's worst day. Mm -hmm. Well, my husband and I have three boys. Leah was the oldest. He passed away three weeks before he was eight. And then I have a almost five-year-old and a two-year-old tomorrow. And oh. he was he was incredible. He was my best friend. He was a great big brother. He was a great friend to others. He was so smart, so bright. He was wise beyond his years. You know, I've noticed a common trend with these kids that have medical issues. They are more mature. Yes. We went to the doctors a lot, and I think that's what made him grow up really quick. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that as a pediatrician, too that the kids yes. with, that are medically yeah. complex are just much more mature. They just have to deal with issues that are so much bigger than what the average kid has to deal with. So you just don't think of the same trivial little, like somebody stole my toy in the same way when you deal with life and death things and hospitalizations and doctors, it just makes you grow up. Yes, he did not. His whole life was medical issues. Uh, he was born with one of the rarest forms of dwarfism in the world. He was about three years old when he was diagnosed. He had a very normal first year or 12 months. No one really knew what was going on. He was small. He was petite, but he had, at his first month pediatric pediatric uh, visit he fell off the going chart mm -hmm. so they would send me to see I've seen over 20 specialists with him until oh, they wow. finally diagnosed yeah from literally from head to toe we went and did a bone age where they took a x-ray of his hand and it came back that he was only the size of a nine month old and we didn't think much of it how old was he at the time when he did that he was 13 months. Okay. Mm -hmm. He was 13 months, so he was only about four months behind, which is not a big deal. My husband and I are not very tall to begin with, so we didn't expect anything. Mm -hmm. We did growth hormones for a while. They didn't work because with the type of uh, dwarfism that he has, it's called Schimke's immunoosseous dysplasia, or SIOD for short. There were less than five in the U.S. at the time and less than 50 in the world. It is wow. very rare. It is a multi-system disease. One in 80 million chance of getting a child with shinkies. And we won the lottery with him. That's what my friend Stephanie always says with Kian, that they won the lottery yeah. with her. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that's so true. Cause he taught me so much in life. He had so much medication that we'd have to take daily, four times a day, and he still had a smile on his face. He was wow. relatively healthy up to the age of five. He took a couple of medications in the beginning for his blood pressure and mm -hmm. iron. But when he turned five, about two and a half weeks after I gave birth to my third son, 
his kidneys failed within weeks. Within wow. weeks, yes. Not even a that month. It was literally even possibly days. Wow. That's yeah, I crazy. Had, I've never heard of that before. I had him at the hospital in April, two years ago now, April 10th, and they said he was fine just dehydrated and then he mm -hmm. got really sick uh may 10th to the point where he needed to be on dialysis his creatinine level when they measured it it was at an eight wow and it should be one or less especially in a kid it should be less than one absolutely that's mm -hmm. like past failing they were shocked when they just saw him four weeks ago what happened uh, mm -hmm. He went to kindergarten. He was at kindergarten at the time, five years old. And his teacher would always call me. I would always get calls from the nurse. He's either throwing up or he has a headache or his last day of school is I went to pick him up and he fell asleep in the nurse's office and no one could wake him up. Oh my so I went Because of his creatinine levels, it was ridiculous. And I got a call from his, from his uh, nephrologist and He's like, oh, so how is Leo doing? And I was like, well, he's not doing so well. He keeps throwing up and, you know, he fell asleep at the nurse's office. And he said, if you don't bring him in today, it was a Friday, he will not mental Monday. Wow. So he saved his life at that time because mm -hmm. I did not know how serious it was, especially that fast. I just thought, oh, it's another day of Shinki. This is what we've dealt with in the past. Nothing, you know, take him home, give him fluids. I knew the routine from past right. mm -hmm. situations. And we sent him in and I called my husband. I'm like, you better come to the hospital. His creatinine is at an eight. They rushed him to surgery the next day. They put in a port while he was under. They put in a central line to start uh, hemodialysis while mm -hmm. peritoneal dialysis healed. So Mother's Day was his first round of dialysis that Sunday. Mm -hmm. We were in the hospital a lot from May till July. We would leave here and there. And there was this one time where we left at four o'clock and we went back the next day at 11 a.m. because he had a stroke. Oh my goodness. Yeah, he had strokes because of his condition. And then also the kidneys were releasing toxins. And we would go in, he would be paralyzed from one side, and then he would have another stroke. He would recover from that one and then be paralyzed on the other side and then recover. Like nothing happened within days. Wow. He started getting seizures. We had to be put on seizure medication for a while. And then June came around where they finally decided to remove both of his kidneys. Mm -hmm. So he had no kidneys for the last 18 months of his life. He did not make any urine, which was insane to even think about. Because every time we would go out to a restaurant he loved going out he was like mom i have to use the bathroom and i was like oh, we just left the house you have to use the bathroom and i wanted nothing more than him to use the bathroom again yes yes you don't know what you miss until you don't have it anymore mm -hmm. so they removed his kidneys in june we got discharged in july and then went back 2018 and 19 we went back a lot of times in the icu pediatrics icu 
He kept on getting TIAs, finish strokes. They just kept coming. He had seizures a lot. It was the absent seizures where he would just kind of stare off. Mm -hmm. I was the only one that knew what was going on. You know, we had the medications. We had everything at home. We would do dialysis after his port healed. I did it at home with him for 12 hours daily. And we would go to the doctor's at least three times a week, if not more. Right. He was finally cleared to be put on the transplant list in September of 2018. Because they had to get his other issues under control or? Yes. Why? Mm -hmm. Yes, they had to get all his other issues under control. He had, you know, the seizure control, the TIAs and all the other things that kidneys do, you know, they filter out toxins his body was filled with toxins he coded once uh during may through july he coded because his blood levels were extreme his gas levels i'm sorry his gas levels were extremely high because the kidneys were releasing so much toxins so they needed him that's to why they be needed to get rid of him they needed him mm -hmm. to be healthy enough to get a kidney so he was put on the list in september and then in october October, November, I get a call Saturday morning. They ask, oh, we have a kidney for you. Would you like it? And I'm like, well, of course, if I didn't want one, I wouldn't, you know, be on the list. So right. I said, yes. And they took about three hours to call me back. And those three hours was hell for me, just pacing back and forth. Mm -hmm. I was... And they tell you every detail. I don't know if this is for everyone. They called me and they told me whose kidney it was, where they found it, how they found it, everything. Seriously? Yeah. We didn't find out that at all. We did not know. They released, they, we got a letter from Valeriano's donor's mother six months after the transplant. And even then, they didn't say the name, but it was a story of, it was a horrific story of this young girl. So we easily figured out who it was at that point and did communicate mm -hmm. with the mother, but they did not ever tell us. It just, we just ended up knowing just because yes. it had made news actually. That's funny yes. that they told you. They told me everything except for his name. His name, I did not know, but I knew his age. I knew what happened. I knew the town that he lived in. So here I am grieving for this man I have never met. He was yeah. uh, a year younger than me at that time. He was only 27. And here I am panicking for my son, what he's about to go through. Mm -hmm. It was really intense three hours. And they finally, finally called me back. They said, I am so sorry. The kidney came from an overdosed patient. And we do not give overdose cases to pediatrics. Mm-hmm. It took them three hours to figure that out. Well, that's so. From that on, hmm. I told his doctor, "Please do not call me first. Figure out yourself, and then call me. I want to be the last one to know. When you have that kidney in the bag, then call me." Yeah. <sighs> I found out we got when Valeriano got his kidney. I, well, actually, I'd found out before that one day when we went for dialysis. They said, "You know, you almost got a kidney." That we were yeah. like the next one, but the person before us took the kidney. So we didn't get it. But I was um, really thankful that they didn't tell us because that would have been hard. And even with the one we did get, they called mm -hmm. first thing in the morning, said, we think we have a kidney for you. But it, 
it might be too big because uh, mm-hmm. Valeriano's super small. And even though this girl was a teenager, she had a much bigger kidney than he was. And so it did take some hours to figure out if it was going to be okay. And the poor mm-hmm. kid, you could see his kidney through his belly after his surgery because they could barely get him shut because it was, a, you know, a very big kidney for a kid that's less yeah. than five feet tall. So, and I would think for Liart, getting an adult kidney in a little body would have <laughs> would have kind of been a big yeah. deal too in some ways. There's more to this story as I go yeah. on. Yeah, I know. So finally they said no to that and then, uh, we didn't get a call for a while and New Year's came around and I was like, why don't we, I donate. I didn't want to let my husband go through that. I am a stay at home mom. So he is the only one working. And when you donate a kidney, you got to be careful. You know, he mm-hmm. works in heating and air conditioning and he's lifting heavy stuff all the time. I didn't want to put that extra burden on him. So I mm-hmm. took the initiative and I needed to lose 60 pounds to donate because I just gave birth to a human about a couple months ago before his uh, kidneys failed. So I needed to do that. And I lost 65 pounds in nine months. It took me from December, the New Year's actually, the New Year's until when we had the transplant date October 28th of 2019, we would go back and forth to the doctors. There's this whole spiel that the donor needs to do. It's not that easy. You don't just walk in and, oh, I want to donate a kidney. No, I no. needed to go blood work. I needed an MR, uh, no, not an MRI, a CAT scan. I needed everything, AKG from a to z you name it i needed it and i I passed it thank god and they measured my kidney my kidney was they said 14 centimeters big and my son was only 34 inches tall and about 34 pounds Mm -hmm. so we went in the week no actually a month before we decided the transplant date and i met with a surgeon and he walked in And he was telling me how he wants to, you know, put my kidney, my adult kidney, they take out the left kidneys for living donors. So I don't have my left kidney. And he said that he was going to open Liart from literally from side to side across his belly button. Mm -hmm. I was kind of taken aback. I'm like, why that way? Because at this point, I've been doing research on my own. You know, as a mother, you sit down on Google, Dr. Mm -hmm. Google is first and I've seen different techniques and he's like well how do you want me to do it I was like well there's a little slit on the side and he's like yes they do do that but because your kidney is big and Liard is so petite to make it more successful I want to connect it directly to the arteries the heart arteries and all the main Mm -hmm. arteries and these arteries were so thin yes Mm -hmm. I was like well you're the doctor you've been doing this for years Valeriano's is right in his front too. They cut him straight across and put that in too. I probably again the size thing because it was barely. Yeah. I mean, he was barely big enough to get that kidney, so they just cut him across. Yeah. So it's the yeah. exact same. Mm-hmm. That's what they did. They cut him across, and my son had uh, enough room because he didn't have his other kidneys to. Other begin kidneys, with his own- yeah. Yes, yep. he didn't. I was thinking he- that too. That that gave him a little more room because Valeriano still had his, so they didn't work. Yeah. But- no. Yes, mine did not. Um, 
Oh my goodness. So October 28th comes around. We have to be at the hospital at 7 a.m. We live really close. We moved once we found out that Liart was sick and he had a life expectancy of uh, seven to nine years. And now it's nine to 11 years. We moved. We used to live half an hour away from the hospital. Now we only live about 10 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So we woke up at 5 a.m. I took him off dialysis. They let me know, make sure he's on dialysis. So take out all the toxins and, you know, he'll be ready for a transplant. He woke up in such an incredible mood. He was so happy. I bought us matching kidney necklaces. Mine was missing a piece of my kidney and the piece that was missing was on his kidney. Mm. We had, he woke up in the morning just talking about how God and his wife looks. He had, he's like, mom, can you sit? I have a minivan. So I was like, mom, can you sit in the back? So I sat with him. I was like, do you think God is a woman? He had all this, you know, ideas. I was like, well, of course he's a woman. He can't take care of everyone if he was a man. (laughs) I think her hair is long and has pearls and she has red bottom shoes. And her dress is made out of clouds. We went in. Yeah. We went in and they put me in a little room and they had him in a room and came, put our RVs in. And I went in first. I went in at 7.30. I was out of the surgery room by 11, 12 o'clock that day. They took him about two hours after. The kidney worked for about 12 hours. They could never close, they never closed him. He was open until a week before he passed. Six days, not even a week, he was open. But the kidney was still working, they were still hopeful. None of them ever thought that he was gonna pass. That It was a Monday, that day, the kidney went great. He was doing awesome. Come around Tuesday, 4 a.m., his blood pressure drops to 40 over 20. So what do they do? They rush him for surgery. The kidney, the disease, Shimkis, had attacked my kidney just like it attacked his kidneys. So they saved it. The first time they saved it, I got a bunch of clots. They, the doctor saved it and... You know, he went back to the ICU to recovery, and I knew nothing at this point. My doctors came in the room around seven in the morning. I could see it in their face. They're like, I'm so sorry to tell you, Leon is going in for surgery. You know, he's not doing so good, but our doctors are great, nothing to worry about. And then it happened again, and then the kidney got clawed again around 10 p.m. on that Tuesday saw him after his second surgery because he had one to get the kidney the second one to save the kidney and I just kept on apologizing I felt like a failure here I was donate a kidney try to like extend his life because I knew my son was gonna pass regardless me giving him a kidney I just wanted Mm -hmm. to him better quality of life so he wouldn't have to be stuck to that machine for half of a day 12 hours what kind of childhood is that and I just kept on apologizing and how sorry I I'm so sorry Rosarta oh my so goodness hard. so hard they, they took me back to my room because I was recovering as well 
They took me right. back in a wheelchair and I fell asleep around 10. And as soon as I close my eyes, this vision comes to me. He comes to me with his hands in his pocket. He's wearing a blue sweater and some gray pants and he's looking around. He goes, mommy, what am I doing here? And I knew immediately I woke up. I kept on calling my husband. I'm like, my son is dead and you're not telling me. It's like, what are you talking about? He's right here. He's fine. It's like, no, this is how I saw him. I saw him in a white hallway. It was the brightest white I have ever seen. But you're not telling me. Not even half an hour went by. They had to rush him to the emergency room, uh, to the emergency surgery to remove his kidney completely. Yeah. His organs had gone completely black. He went into septic shock. He had two infections, aspergillus and pseudomonas. I will never forget those two. Those are so icky ones. Son. Yes, they are very icky. Mm -hmm. Again, they couldn't close him, so he was open still. This was his third surgery by now. The whole time while the doctor was doing surgery on him, it took him a couple hours because he wanted to make sure to clean everything out, disinfect him. I saw mm -hmm. Lear playing in paradise. I was the one watching from afar and he was playing in this beautiful field. I still have it in front of me of the most beautiful flowers I have ever seen. And I felt the love that God gives us. It was wrapped all around us. Mm -hmm. And I beautiful. knew. Yes, yeah. that was a gift that he gave me. That was, yeah. That's what keeps me going. That I know that he is loved more love than I could ever give him. That keeps me going. And that was a beautiful gift that he gave me. We took care of each other. That was our relationship. He took yeah. care of me and I took care of him. And then they that is a beautiful image to be able to have forever for you. Yes, it is. I saw him again, saw him the next day. And I finally got discharged. I come home, I have two other boys at home and my mom and dad and my brothers and their wives are taking care of my kids here. And yeah. my five-year-old, he comes to hug me, but I can't let him because I have this scar on my stomach. I have four scars from the kidney. So yeah. I can't even properly hug my other children. I have one in the hospital. I get up the next day, I got discharged on a Wednesday. I go back on Thursday. Every day since then, my husband and I would do 12-hour shifts. I would do during the day. He would do the nights. We would have my family visit all the time. My brothers would come, my mom. I have cousins. Everyone was so supportive. Everyone was so great. It was beautiful, but I just wish it wasn't something tragic to happen, to mm -hmm. have a beautiful thing to bring us together. He was intubated the whole time. He was sedated with three or four different sedations. He was still open, just wrapped in like a sandwich. Mm -hmm. There was this one night I go in early in the morning and my husband's face looked like he's seen a ghost. I'm like, what's going on? My son had split open even more. 
car was from side to side. Now his guts started coming out, all of his insides. So at that point, they rush him in again and they put in a artificial piece. Aladar, mm-hmm. and you know, they wheel him back in. All is well, considering everything that's going on, his infections, but he was improving. The day that he, the week actually that he passed, that Tuesday, his doctors, I learned later that they were discussing with each other, okay, we're good, he's gonna make it. His uh, antibodies got you know better, his infections are starting going away. He even got extubated. They were starting to wean him off all the sedation. Little did they know, he tricked them all and passed away. November 21st at 8.35 p.m. So they had thought he was getting better, and then he just... Yes. Mm -hmm. They had Mm -hmm. thought he was getting better. All his numbers were looking incredible. Mm -hmm. He was on uh, hemodialysis the whole time we were there, the three weeks that we were there. Because you can't put in a port when you're open. So we were doing that for three or four hours daily. That day that he passed, my husband even went back to work because he wasn't working this whole time. Uh, His boss was kind enough to give him a leave of absence and he went back to work. So I went back to the hospital at 5.30 a.m. My husband needed to be to work at seven. I spent Mm -hmm. the whole day with him. They brought in physical therapy because, you know, laying in bed for three weeks, you can't walk after. And because he was improving, They brought in a physical therapist. They were trying to keep his hands busy. Being sedated for so long, he got a little addicted to them. Sure. He would pick at everything that he had on. He would try to uh, pull out his feeding tube. He would try to like uncover himself. So they were giving him activity blankets where he could, but he was not aware enough to do that. So I gave him these two racing cars. My husband and I both have one where he would hold them in his hands just to keep his hands busy. I stayed with him the whole day. And my husband finally comes from work. I'm like, can you come in? I'm exhausted. It's emotionally draining. You're not doing anything except for sitting there, but you have doctors coming in and out, throwing information at you. So he comes around 7.30 p.m. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go home. I'm tired, I'm gonna go home. I probably was still in the hotel, in the hotel, in the hospital lobby. I wish I was in the hotel. Hospital lobby. (laughs) (laughs) When my son coded, I had no idea at this point because my brother was there with my husband. None of them called me until maybe half an hour later. And as I'm driving home, I call my neighbor. I'm like, Lisa, I don't know. What am I going to do? How am I going to bury him? It's so cold outside. The ground is freezing. How am I going to leave his body in the ground? Yeah. And why are you talking like this? I was like, you know what? Just pour me a cold drink. Let me come over. And I have never done this before. I have known that woman for four years. And I have never just called like, oh, get me a drink. I'm coming over. That day, something made me go. And I went there for a half an hour. And I just discussed my son and as I'm pulling out of her driveway to come home to my other boys, I get a call from my my brother. He goes, I knew it right away. You just know your motherly instinct. It's like, yeah. come back because he's not doing so well. I have always, knowing that he was gonna pass at some point from his disease, I have always imagined how would that phone call go or how would that ride 
to the hospital or wherever he was, if I wasn't with him, be like. It was mm -hmm. the most peaceful ride I have ever, I've been driving for over 12 years. And it was, I felt God. I felt the spirit of my son with me. I just, I, for some reason, now I can even remember, I kept on thanking God for the amount of years and days that he let me have him. That was my whole conversation. Thank you for letting me have him for seven years and 11 months. That's beautiful. When I went there, he, they were doing CPR on him. I walked in and I asked them to stop because they were doing it for a while. I didn't get there until 8, 8.15, 8.20. They've been doing it for 30 minutes now. And they were like, can we just try just one more thing, one more thing? And the, the room was filled, filled with yeah. doctors and nurses. And I, I agreed. I was like, okay, one more thing. And I walked outside pacing back and forth. And I could hear those monitors, that noise stuck with me for weeks. The beep. I would yeah. ask, please turn them off. And the nurses would run and turn it off and it would go back on again. Mm -hmm. Where finally I walked in and... I called time of death, 8.35, time of death, please stop. Oh. They kind of looked at me, and obviously I'm not in charge, so the doctor called time of death again, and my husband fell to his knees. He just he kept on screaming his name. So I kind of kicked him on the side. I'm like, you better get up. He deserves a lot more than this. You know, let him go with some dignity. He had a lot of pride. He hated people knowing that he was sick. He tried to mask it all. Uh, I would give him the epigen shot three times a week and he would cry in the corner. And as soon as that burning would wear off, he would come in with a smile. So he hated people knowing that he was suffering. Yeah. So they cleaned him up. And I called my mother and I, you know, I try not to be hysteric, so I was asking her, how is she doing? How are the kids? And when she asked me about Liard, I'm like, Mom, we lost him about 20 minutes ago. I had my brother come and pick her up. I had my sister-in-laws come and look at my other children. I had cousins and uncles and aunts come in the hospital. The hospital let us be with him for a couple of hours until they get all the paperwork ready. And I just sat next to him. He started getting cold. They, they still stay warm on their left side of their bodies. So I had my hand under the blanket on his heart and I was like, maybe they made a mistake. Maybe he's still alive because he was still warm on that side. Oh. Finally, we called the funeral home. We are Muslim, so we bury within 24 hours. We don't send them to the morgue. Uh, the funeral home came and got him around midnight and sent him to the mosque where my husband, my brothers, and a cousin of mine stayed with him overnight. He was in this big cold room in this plastic bed. It was like a changing table that they had him on. I still had his blankets on him. He had this big wolf blanket that I have on my bed and I wrapped him around in it. And I went home, I went home around two in the morning. My boys were still up. My mom was like, I can't put them to bed. So I took them close to me and I finally put my five-year-old 
to bed and I woke up at 5 a.m. about two hours later, three, and went back to the mosque and started the ceremonies. My husband actually helped the Iman bathe our son. We, you know, we washed the deceased before we buried them. So he, he helped bathe him and we, we swaddled them in a white sheet. We got him a beautiful white and gold casket that we put him in and we had family members come in. We had friends, his teachers came in, his doctors came. The room was filled, my neighbors were all there. Finally, the Iman comes in and he says a prayer for the deceased. And we, everyone lightens up. It's an open casket. We get to say goodbye. He gets put in the car and we drive off to the cemetery. It was pouring rain. I have never seen it rain that much. Soon as we go to his spot, his, his grave site, and I open the door, the sun comes out. Oh my goodness. It's like spring all over again. It was beautiful. It was magical. It's weird putting death and beautiful together, but everything I think has its own beauty and the silver lining. Mm -hmm. Finally, my husband and my brothers carry him to his grave and religiously we're supposed to throw in three shovels of dirt as a respect to the deceased. So mm -hmm. everyone in my family did that. I had to also do it to stand over his casket and throw in dirt. My husband was like, I just wanted to jump in there. I'm like, me too. I just wanted to jump and just tell him to stop. Right. Finally, after everyone took a turn. I don't know why they had us stay for this part. That was the most traumatic part of my life. They had the big digger would take his big shovel and just throw the whole dirt that was, you know, they digged it up and they're throwing back in. And I have video of the whole ceremony. And there's this a point where I literally fall back, but I have my brother and my husband holding me when all that weight and probably, I don't know, thousands of pounds of dirt that just fall on top of his little body. That was intense. Yeah. I don't know how people go through this, but we do, and we come out stronger on the other side because of it. Doesn't always feel that way. <laughs> no, no, doesn't it doesn't. Doesn't feel that way at all. No, it doesn't. Yeah. I just wanted to dig myself a grave right next to him. Yeah. I had to drag my husband home. He did not, he had that shovel in his hand and he did not want to let it go. He's like, how am I supposed to go home? How am I supposed to go home and leave his body here? We were together constantly, 24 seven. He had so many needs. So we were always with him and now we're not. Yeah. Just, he was so much a part of your identity, really. Oh, absolutely. He was my, yes. I mean, That's he was. That's what you lived as. You lived as his mom. Yeah, I was his mom, his, you know, his nurse. His nurse, nurse his, his caregiver. Yeah, yeah everything. everything. We come home and our five-year-old, he goes to school and he comes out of the bus. And I have my nieces and nephews here who are very close in age to my son, Liart. And they get excited because they see everyone here and they ask us, so is Liart coming? And my mother, I don't know what she was thinking. She goes, yes. And those little kids' faces. Oh, no. She's like, well, I meant it in spirit. I'm like, mom, they're 
seven and eight years old. Yeah, they think he's really coming. Yeah, they think he was really here. So I had to sit them down and let them know, no, he had passed. I had his stuff, uh, his gown, his hospital gown. I had it with me and his blanket in the car and I brought it over. I'm like, look, this is his stuff. He is not, we just came back from the cemetery. He is, you know, gone. And my nephew goes, well, why aren't you crying? You don't have any tears left. I don't have any tears left. And with having a sick child, you kind of grieve that child his whole life. Yeah. Well, and it just comes and goes. You can't cry every second of every day. Yes. You just can't. No, I would cry every day for him. He needed a special pants that could have fit him. He was the size of a two-year-old at the age of almost eight. Yeah. Uh, a special pencil at school because his fingers were so small. I just grieved him his whole life. So I was kind of drained out. Yeah. We also do, we had dinner with everyone at home after burying him. We also do seven day open door policy where anyone could come and go. Our door was open from lunchtime till dinner time. We served dinner for everyone that came. We had his doctors. We had the whole transplant team come, stayed here for hours. And I don't know what came over me. Those whole days, I would sit on you know, a chair and I would just hold lectures about my son and how incredible he was. And I remember his doctor, the transplant, he's like, I wish I would have known him earlier. I wish I would have you know, met him earlier. I was like, he was incredible. He was funny. He was so captivating. Everyone that met him fell in love with him. He had the chubbiest little cheeks. Six months before he passed, he got Evans syndrome on top of his Schimke's disease, which was, you know, something that Schimke's patients deal with and they put him on prednisone. So he would eat seven grilled cheese sandwiches a day, (laughs) top it off with eight chocolate chip cookies with milk, and he went from 38 pounds to about 35, uh, 28 to 35 pounds when he passed. And he was a very picky eater. He lived on Pediasure. Uh-huh. So I loved him eating. I loved his little cheeks. I have pictures of him all over my walls. And, you know, my, my five-year-old will remember him, but my... Uh, at the time, he was only 18 months. He will not. But I make sure that he knows who his brother is. And we talk about Liard all the time. And yes. he points at his pictures. And he fits into his clothes because he was the size of a two-year-old. And my son will be two. So I wear all of Liard's clothes to my other one. Yeah. It is nice to be able to do that for a while, isn't it? Yes. It will be hard when your two-year-old is too big. Yes, that's what happened. That's what I was going to say next. The other day, I put on a pair of uh, sweatpants. I'm like, oh, my goodness, they're not going to fit you anymore. Yeah. I'm going through that with Peter now Mm -hmm. because he's he's now getting bigger than his brother was. So Mm -hmm. it's tough. It's another thing to mourn, actually. Yes. Yes, and it's weird because I wanted nothing more than Liar to grow and be his normal size. And now that my other boys are healthy and growing, it's a weird feeling. It's an interesting feeling. 
Uh-huh. I have to buy shoes left and right. Where Liar, I didn't need that. Yeah. Oh my goodness, this is not easy. No, it's not easy. So having known from the time Liart was very little that you would lose him and now living that loss for these five months, what are some things that are different than what you thought it would be? What I thought it would be. I thought that I would lose myself. I thought that I would lose my marriage. I thought that I could not pick up the pieces, but it's actually the opposite. I love my husband even more now because me and him made that human. And oh, you know, it's our DNA. I am stronger than ever. I want people to know about my son and who he was and how incredible he was. Where before I would think that I would go into a shell. No, it hasn't. It's got me closer to him. No, I can't touch him phys- physically, but spiritually, I know he's always with me. He gives me signs all the time. Can you give us some examples of that? that? The signs that he gave? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The other day I woke up in the middle of the night of him calling me mommy. And I woke up and I knew that he's no longer with us. Yeah. And... When he passed, actually minutes before he passed, uh, the care channel was on in the hospital. It was just the black screen, but the TV was on. And all of a sudden, I took his handprints. After he passed, we did them in red coloring. And Uh I took his handprints. And I love purple. And he knew that about me. He would do everything purple for me. So all of a sudden, the TV turns on. It's a field of purple lupines and the most peaceful music I have ever heard. I later found out from his art therapist that he would discuss with her how he wanted to buy me purple flowers after the surgery happened. And he did. He did in his own way. He did bring me purple flowers. Yeah. Yes, he did. I whispered in his ear after he passed that that red handprint that we took, that was going to be our sign between me and him. And after we came back from the cemetery, I'm going through his drawers and I found a red handprint that I did with him in 2017, two years, three years almost that he passed. And I was like, yep. I know you're always with me. I always feel him. I could smell him all the time. I have a little ducky in my car because it it reminds me of him, of the fat cheeks. (laughs) Oh my gosh, he was incredible. He was my best friend. He was my shopping buddy. I would go out to the grocery store and he would send me voice memos. Mommy, can you get me the chips? And I would have to bring him back Doritos. (laughs) (laughs) He loved eating. Even though he was picky, just had a few things that he liked, huh? Even though he was picky about that prednisone when it kicked in. That's oh, yeah. The prednisone helped. It made yeah. him uh, eat a lot. What else is there? We had a lot of help. We had my whole family helping us with our two boys. Me and Liart had help from the hospital. He saw an art therapist for years because we knew he was going to pass. And uh, he had no idea. I never in a million years made him feel like there was anything wrong with him or that he was gonna pass. 
I remember when we moved in to our new house, I let know my I told my neighbors what was going on because they were like, "Oh, he's six. Oh, okay. They would, right. be, you know." So I would tell them, I told them, I'm like, yes, he's six, but this is what we're going through. And I guess one of the neighbors told the kids and one of the kids runs up to Lear and tells him that he's going to die. Oh, no. So my little six-year-old comes running to me, mommy, so-and-so said, I'm going to die. Is it true? Am I going to die? So I had to, you know, let him know, no, he's not going to die and don't listen to kids. They're just being silly. They don't know what they're talking about. So he had no idea that he was going to pass. We were in the hospital six years of his seven-year life, six and a half years, actually, of his life. He was in art therapy. I had a therapist that was specializing in bereaved parents. Uh She's been doing this for 20 years. And we would go see her every week. He would go to art therapy for 45 minutes. I would go to my therapist for 45 minutes at the same hospital. I have all the things that they made together. Everyone just fell in love with him. Everyone cried. I remember his nephrologist cried when the kidney failed. My kidney failed and everyone came the night that he passed. All the nurses drove from their houses drove back to the hospital his doctors came that night and everyone just loved him he had a way with everyone they were incredible i had his art therapist and my therapist clean out his room in the icu because i couldn't do it no his birthday was three weeks before he passed and all he wanted was a race car birthday and to go to chuck e cheese So what they did was they did a deck my room. So his whole room was in race car decorations. And he had a race car costume. And I had my belongings there. I trusted them with my child. You know, my belongings were not to me. (laughs) That was nothing. And I left it overnight. And I had my therapist and his art therapist bring it over my house. Days later after Liart passed, they check on me all the time. I recently texted the transplant doctor because with this pandemic going on, it kind of magnifies grieving because here I am stressed out. What would I do if Liart was still here? Yeah. He would have been the first one to get COVID-19 because his immune system was so low. And with, you know, a transplant, as you know. Right. They give a lot of medications. Yeah. I mean, it's a fear for me. Yes. Obviously. With yes. Living with Valeriano and trying to convince him he needs to wear a mask all the time. <laughs> it's oh not easy God. to do with a 21-year-old kid, but I, yeah. I think he's finally listening. So. Yeah, that was the biggest fear. And I texted him like, I don't know. I can't go on. I keep thinking. I forgot my living children just thinking about what would I do if he was still here? And he just kind of like, okay, I understand the way you feel and everyone is going through it, but you don't have that problem anymore. Yeah. And it brought me back to reality. No, I don't. I don't have that problem. But it is tough grieving in this time because honestly, everyone's grieving something. Mm -hmm. So it's just really hard. It's hard to live in this time. 
and our grief really hasn't changed in a lot of ways. It's still the same. And then other people's lives and grief ha- is now new and more real. I don't know. It's tough. I think we have things that we can teach them and things they can learn from us because we're kind of professional grievers now. But then the other thing we have to do is be patient with other people and not, oh, I think it can be easy to belittle what people are going through, what others are going through. Belittling people that are grieving, not being able to... Um, have alone time that their kids are there all the time or not being able to go to the gym or just not being able to have that normal life. Yeah, I know people. Yes, you're so right. Because the first day that I had to homeschool and both of my boys were home and Facebook has this memory where it shows up a year ago, I was home with my three boys and that's hard to come back from where someone around the corner is grieving because they can't go out get a coffee okay yeah right that's <laughs> right. tough i get it it's it's a big lesson for us because no two people grieve the same even my husband and i i'm more open i see my therapist and i talk to everyone on the phone every yeah. chance i get and he doesn't he's like well i have you I'm like well i'm sinking in the same boat you are what am i gonna help you with <laughs> I can't help you. I'm drowning just as well. But I think we can. We can help each other more than we think we can sometimes. You know, just because you're broken yourself does not mean you can't help someone else who's broken. I've been reading, well, auto listening to a lot of spiritual books about how the soul works. And that's been giving me a lot of comfort, making him, making me feel that I'm closer to him just the soul's Uh journey and how we're all together and we decide, you know, what kind of path our life was going to take. And I kind of, to be a little, give myself a pat in the back that, you know, my son Liard and God had chosen me to be his mother in one in 80 million chance. Why me? Yeah. But I'm so glad you think of it in terms of the fact that you got to be his mother and you got to have him for those years and days and months instead of feeling like it it's a burden. I mean, other people might think that, might think that you had a tough life and a burden, but you think of it more as how blessed you were to have him. Yes, I do. You're 100% correct where people uh, thought that, you know, the 12 hours a day were was a burden on me because I could never go out anywhere. I had a curfew because we had to be back in time for his dialysis. But no, that was a joy. That was my life. That's all I knew. I would live it all over again if God wants me to. He was never a burden to me. Never. No. No, he was not. I loved every minute spending with him. He would wake up, have five medications in the morning, and then five in the afternoon, over 15 daily. It was not easy. I remembered it all myself. I don't know. I don't know when people complain about their healthy children. I just want to slap them. I know. What are you complaining about? You don't have medication. Uh, Bath time was a challenge for us. You know, he had his port in his stomach. He couldn't go you know, get it all the way wet. And when he did, it was a whole process. It took us like an hour to an hour and a half just for bath time. I had to make sure it was not infected because if it was, 
it would have killed him than me living with the guilt of, oh my God, I killed my child. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it was a big process. And, you know, again, when someone complains about the living children, I just kind of laugh and nod it off. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you have no idea how lucky yeah. you are. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to share Liart with us today and your story. I just love hearing about him. He's an amazing kid. I love hearing about your stories since his passing, actually, and your kind of the spiritual journey that you've been able to go on. It's beautiful. Thank you for having me. This has been a great therapy session for me, a great (laughs) outlet, and I love listening to you every Thursday. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.